Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Ogsbury, Executive Director of WGA. Each year, the chair of WGA designs a project on which Western governors focus substantial energy and attention and which produces actionable recommendations to improve life in the West. The current chair is the Honorable Jared Polis, governor of the great state of Colorado. His WGA chair initiative is entitled The Heat Beneath Our Feet, dedicated to expanding the role of geothermal energy in the West's renewable energy portfolio. In connection with this project, Governors have hosted several tours of geothermal assets and facilities throughout the West and have assembled experts and thought leaders to examine various market, technology, and policy factors affecting the development and deployment of geothermal technologies. In this episode of Out West, WGA Policy Advisor Stephen Emmon speaks with Joanna Ostrom, the Chief Operating Officer of Transitional Energy, Will Pettit, the Geothermal Discipline Lead for Baker Hughes, and Will Gosnold, a professor of geological engineering at the University of North Dakota. These experts discuss the great potential of repurposing oil and gas wells for geothermal energy production and what needs to be done to expand this innovative approach to securing the West's energy future. Thank you, Jim. Western states have long known how to tap into our geothermal resources. Earlier this year, WGA staff had the opportunity to visit the city of Boise, where they have been using geothermal heating since the 1890s. However, geothermal only makes up 0.4% of the electrical generation in the United States. And some estimates predict that we have only tapped into 0.7% of the possible geothermal resources As our energy system transitions towards a cleaner future, the potential to tap into our geothermal resources has many people looking towards the oil and gas industry. Many of the same technologies that help drive the shale revolution are in high demand in the geothermal industry. This has led to many cross-industry partnerships already forming. The repurposing of oil and gas wells to tap into geothermal energy could also provide a solution to clean up orphan wells in the Western United States often occurring after companies dissolve or go to bankruptcy, orphan wells are typically low-producing oil and gas wells that are operated by the state and can be a concern for methane leaks. Repurposing these wells to tap into geothermal energy could not only make them once again productive, but also provide considerable benefit to the environment. To discuss the many ways the oil and gas industry and geothermal industry overlap, we have joining us today Joanna Ostrom, the Chief Operating Officer for Transitional Energy, Will Petit, the Geothermal Discipline Lead at Baker Hughes, and Will Gosnold, a Professor of Geological Engineering at the University of North Dakota. Joanna, can you tell us a little bit about Transitional Energy's pilot project to generate geothermal energy at oil and gas wells in Nevada? First of all, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast. I was thrilled to see the Heat Beneath Our Feet initiative. Transitional Energy is headquartered in Denver, Colorado. We're excited to see Governor Polis really put that flag in the ground and and get some real momentum behind geothermal. And I'm also excited to have this conversation with both Will and Will. So Transitional Energy was founded in early 2020 by a bunch of oil and gas folks that 
really saw an opportunity to take heat waste or thermal energy produced from oil and gas wells to generate electricity. This idea has been around for a long time. Folks have done this in the past. Transitional energy was really focused on the timing of this opportunity and advances that had happened in the past 10 or 15 years in this industry and really felt the time was right to focus on geothermal co-production. We met this operator, Grand Canyon Oil and Gas, after one of our presentations at Intercom, and they said, hey, we've got this field out in Nevada. It produces a ton of hot water. Is there anything you guys can do? We've always thought geothermal would be a great opportunity. And so we really dug into this asset they have out in Blackburn, Nevada. And they produce, you know, 99% water, 1 to 3% oil cut, and really hot water. And it's a continuous loop production. And it was a great application of taking this thermal energy and instead of re-injecting that heat, generating electricity from it. So we applied for a DOE grant through the Wells of Opportunity. We're awarded a grant in early January of this year and to generate one megawatt of geothermal power at this existing oil field out there. It was also the same location of our pilot project that we executed in May, May of 22 as well. So we see great potential with thermal energy produced from oil and gas wells. Quite frequently, operators pay to cool it because that heat is a nuisance. It's too hot for pipelines. So it's really just thinking about all the resources that are produced from the ground in addition to the hydrocarbons. Joanna, I know that reducing emissions at oil and gas operations is really important. Does the energy that you generate while taking advantage of that heat go towards scope one emissions at some of these oil and gas operations? And when we produce a barrel of oil and gas, does that reduce the overall emissions it takes to produce that barrel? Great question. So scope one, right, is emissions you generate on site from a natural gas or diesel generator. And then scope two is offsetting emissions you would get from fossil fuel-based electricity. We're working on a, a project with Interplus in North Dakota, where we're going to replace a chiller that they have on site. As I mentioned, they have to pay to cool their fluids because it's too hot for a pipeline. And we're able to generate electricity as well and get rid of some of their natural gas generators they have on site. So depending on the location, whether they're connected to the grid or not connected to the grid, we can help with scope one and scope two emissions. That's awesome to hear. I know that a lot of people in Nevada have shown their excitement over this project, and I'm going to be keeping track of it very closely to see how it turns out. My next question I'll send over to Dr. Gosnold. Can you explain the recent project you oversaw in Newtown, North Dakota to repurpose oil and gas wells? And also, might I ask, how many homes do you think that project's going to heat? Let me try the last question first. I do not know the ex exact number of homes that that would eat, but it could do the entire town. And we're looking at a population of around eight to 9,000. So that looks pretty good. And I would like to say too, Baker Hughes is one of our team members on a big project we've got going to establish a geothermal industry in North Dakota. We're really hoping what's going on with the Newtown project will be inspiration for a lot of other people. We've already talked to people in other cities like Williston, North Dakota, where they do have a lot of wells, a lot of opportunity to go there, and a lot hotter resource. But yes, the idea was Department of Energy student geothermal contest that our students saw and entered, and we were absolutely delighted because we had the right team of people to plan everything about this. Someone who knew about the resource, someone who knew about the oil and gas industry, and someone who could deal with district heating systems. So this all went together very well. We also had a very responsible and 
wonderful member of the tribe as one of our team members. She was just finishing a master's degree in petroleum engineering at UND, and now she's working there with them. What we did was we simply planned what they could do, identified the resource, and laid out a plan to install the district heating system. Then the option is to go deeper, hit a hotter formation, and generate electricity. So that's it in a nutshell. That's really exciting. And so you're using an existing well to create that geothermal system. Is that an abandoned well? Is that orphan? Or is that a company that you're partnering with? Well, actually, they have several options. They have looked at abandoned wells, but they have their own wells they will probably use. I guess that will bring me into my next question to Will from Baker Hughes. What's Baker Hughes doing to look into geothermal and how are you guys applying some of the technology you guys have for the oil and gas industry for the geothermal industry? Well, thank you, Steve and Jim, for inviting us onto this podcast today. It's it's very exciting and wonderful that the Western Governors Association is really helping us get all the information about geothermal energy out there. You know, this is a fantastic energy source that's got a big, big future ahead of it because of its 24-7 baseload, clean, always-on energy. So Baker Hughes is a energy technologies company. We're about $30 billion size, uh, 80,000 people. We're considered one of the top three oil and gas service companies. So it, it's a really big move for Baker Hughes to basically say, okay, we are going to now move into the energy transition and start not just looking at geothermal in a big way, but also carbon capture and underground storage and hydrogen storage and all of those energy technologies that are going to be needed for the future in, in terms of this transition that we're going through. And hopefully we can talk a little bit about the big picture there, I think, with that energy transition, because it is important, I think, for everybody to realize why we're going through that transition and that geothermal is, is really a big part of that. So as far as Baker Hughes is concerned, I'm the global geothermal lead for resource technologies. So I look at you know how resources can be explored, how we will deploy geothermal technologies, develop you know new methods for understanding what those resources look like, and everything that really goes into modeling and understanding what energy you can get from those resources. We're also looking at high temperature tools, downhole, high temperature drilling, new drilling technologies. So there's a lot of technologies that are in oil and gas that can now be migrated over to geothermal and really used to help the scaling of that energy so that we can start using it in a lot more geographical areas. We've heard about heating, how we can use current oil and gas operations to generate electricity. What is the biggest barrier to repurposing more oil and gas operations for geothermal energy? And what could we possibly do to overcome those barriers? I can speak to that first. For us in general, it is getting sufficient flow to generate the amount of power we would like to generate. Then you need a lot more information about the formation. We're not necessarily producing water from the same section of any formation as you produce oil and gas, except in a rare case. So you dig in and try to find that out. Will and Joanna have been brilliant to kind of raise the awareness of geothermal energy through this repurposing of oil and gas wells that they're working on. And one of the big challenges is finding the market. 
right? It's finding the off takers. It's connecting that energy that you are able to recover from ground in terms of heat into you know, local communities or using that to generate electricity and connecting that into the grid. So what you have to do is you have to find those off takers locally to be able to take that energy. And that is the challenge, especially in some of these remote oil and gas areas that have a lot of potential in developing geothermal energy and getting that energy out there to a market. I would add that I am Always optimistic, having been in the oil and gas industry myself for 17 years, the kind of innovation that happens in that industry. They've got really smart engineers and geologists. And I think getting oil and gas companies to realize they have not just an oil and gas resource, but a thermal resource as well that they can tap into will really shift a mindset. And we can get those really smart engineers and geologists and technical staff thinking about how to optimize the production of that or evaluate the resource before they plug and abandon wells that could be great power producers or direct heat opportunities for local towns or schools nearby. So a bit of it is awareness, I think, and getting the oil and gas industry to be aware of this resource that they're already sitting on, perhaps already cooling because it's too hot for pipeline. But I really think getting that momentum will really help geothermal take off. Do further partnerships with the oil and gas industry overcome barriers of resource assessment and exploration? Will it make it easier for geothermal companies who partner with oil and gas companies and might already have some of these resources mapped out to then make decisions on where their assets need to go and possibly take down one of those cost barriers to deploying further geothermal resources? I would agree with that statement. I also think development in low temperature geothermal technology will help drive that as well. So if we can get cheaper, more efficient electrons generated, that'll really help sedimentary basin geothermal really take off because the cost per kilowatt will go down and it gets more economic and compete with other sources of renewable energy or just other sources of energy out there. Yeah, I think Joanna's really hit on something there. And there's literally hundreds of thousands of oil and gas wells. So, you know, that infrastructure that's already there is fantastic in terms of being able to use that to recover that heat from the ground and then generate energy and get it to people, whether that's in the local area or get it into a transmission system that takes it out. But I think as oil and gas operating companies start getting into the technologies, we're starting to see them driving the process in terms of developing new technologies. So that you're not just using an old well, you're actually re-engineering that well and making it more economical for extracting that heat energy. And we're seeing that being driven, as I say, by the operators because they're realizing that this is actually going to make a huge impact to their decarbonization goals. So some of those technologies, whether it's milling out the well or extending the well, deviating it to get extra length to it, there's lots of opportunities. And these oil and gas companies are starting to actually pick up on that and realizing that they have to do these kind of resource assessments to understand, okay, well, you know, we have this existing infrastructure. How can we actually use that and extend that? We're also getting into this conversation about the oil and gas well of the future, where before these operators are actually drilling these wells in the first place to extract the oil and gas, they're also considering, okay, well, what's the end life goal of this well? And how can we then use that for geothermal over the next few years and decades? I think we're going to see a lot more 
technology development that will aid geothermal being developed from this oil and gas infrastructure. Yeah, Will and Johanna, I would ask you both about this. When we started looking at the opportunities in North Dakota, we find almost all of the wells that are existing out there are five-inch diameter wells, and you really can't pump a lot of fluid out of something like that. We looked at one field in the town of Dickinson, North Dakota. This particular field operates 12 wells, and we did some numbers on realized, boy, if we put all of those into water production, we could supply all of the electrical power for that entire town, which would be great. But all of their wells are small. So we would basically have to recomplete everything. Yeah, I think you've touched on one of the problems of getting massive flow rates to get the power generated that's needed. Really, it's all about aggregating flow, which you talked about. You can't get it from one well most of the time, but the beauty of the oil and gas industry is they're now drilling wells on multi-well pads, right? So they're aggregating flow already because that helps their economics for lower LCOE or the operating costs of producing those hydrocarbons. So it's all about aggregating flow and making sure you can maintain the temperature from bottom hole to surface to where you're aggregating <laughs> flow. And that's the tough nut to crack, right? And that's why we're working on it and other folks are as well. You bring up something dear to my heart on that. We looked at what was going on in the Bakken. They have 12 and 16 wells per pad. And we said, gee, that's an awful lot. There's not much water in the Bakken, but if they've got that much fluid coming up, we can use the entire fluid stream. So we would put together and say, well, oh, this field is generating so much. We, we could generate three to four megawatts for every field. And I just happened to be uh, telling my one of my geophysics classes about that. And one of the students was an engineer at the Energy and Environmental Research Center here at North Dakota. He said, I've been going out in the field and I've actually been measuring the temperatures of the oil coming up from the Bakken, and it's never as hot as you say it is. And I thought, that's odd. So I did some modeling and looked at it and realized, sure enough, and then I went back and looked at the production. Yes, those wells will produce a lot of fluid in the first several months. The average production rate is about two-tenths of a liter per second, almost nothing. They cool off before they get to the surface. They have to be pumping at least at two liters per second in those wells to get the heat to the surface. So that's it. And you may have run into that as well. Well, yeah, the paradigm is they're trying to produce oil and gas to service, not hot water, right? So they're not trying to maintain heat. They're not trying to optimize for water production. So as Will talked about, thinking about the well of the future, how do you kind of have your cake and eat it too? So how do you optimize for thermal energy production as well as oil and gas production? Or think about, okay, there's a point where I'm making most of my revenue from oil and gas, but eventually when that decline is tailed out, what can I do to increase revenue? Think about that resource I've already spent millions of dollars to drill to, and then how do I get that resource to surface most efficiently? So yeah, lots of problems to solve and lots of cool applications of different types of technology that transitional energy is working on solving some of those. I really like what Joanna had to say too about sedimentary basins and improving the technology for low temperature resources. That's a big deal. But when you get to energy security, just to bring that in, we can have distributed geothermal energy systems where they just generate, you know, one to 10 megawatts or something like that. We could go all along the Missouri River or Lake Skakawea on into Montana and put a whole series of those things out and we get like 300 megawatts of power. There's not that much demand for that there, but it could go in. But those are isolated systems that are totally secure. 
Yeah, and, and I think Will Gosnell brings up a, a really good point there in that, you know, when you're talking about geothermal, you're not talking about just electricity generation. You're also talking about heat use. You know, so in the Western states, the geothermal industry has been really successful over 40 or 50 years in developing electricity power generation. So that's the kind of energy that we see day to day. But actually, in other parts of the world, using heat energy just directly is a big source of that decarbonization and security. So you look at the classic example of Iceland, for instance, which has you know a heating network pretty much throughout Reykjavik and powering hundreds of thousands of homes. And now you can take that energy and also apply it to the eastern side of the U.S., where there are resources that are really valuable heat resources that can be used for direct heating of communities, industries, and, you know, applicable up and down the East Coast. So, you know, when you look at how the West Coast can export technologies to the East Coast, then geothermal energy is is a really good one there. I know that Cornell University and West Virginia University are both doing what Will was, was talking about there, which is looking at how their campus-wide heating can be supplemented with geothermal energy coming into it. Well, we've gone over a couple of the challenges with repurposing oil and gas wells for geothermal. We've talked about heating, electrical generation, and I alluded to this next topic in my introduction, but I would like to ask you guys about orphaned wells. Now, for those who don't know what an orphaned well is, it's a well that's currently operated by the state, oftentimes in their possession after a bankruptcy or an oil and gas company dissolves, and it usually is low producing. So my one question to you is, as our governors are listening to this podcast, should they be looking to repurpose some of these orphaned wells to geothermal producing wells as we move forward? My answer to that question is yes. Definitely. Repurposing is also a very interesting question because, you know, those wells are not just a potential energy source that has to be investigated. Obviously, they have to figure out whether each well can be used and can be optimized to get the heat out of the ground. But also they're a data source. So those wells can be used to examine the subsurface to understand more about the heat flow, the formation at that position. So those orphan wells are incredibly valuable as a data source, as a research tool, as something that can be learned from in the future. So I would definitely encourage the governors to be thinking hard about wells like orphan wells. Also, wells that are coming to the end of their lifetime, that are in the hands of operating companies. I really yeah. like what you said, because I I really want to go out and try to explain why heat flow varies from place to place in a layer cake sedimentary basin like what we have. And it varies a lot. And in some areas, it's 70 milliwatts per meter square. In other areas, it's 40. And you say, this is really odd. It shouldn't be there. I'm pretty sure what it is is different radioactivity in the basement rocks. We're pretty sure it's not groundwater flow in that case. But logging the temperatures in those wells and, and getting samples for thermal conductivity measurements and understanding what the heat flow is would be a fantastic thing. It would really help us define the resource. I'm obviously a big advocate of geothermal. I think it's a great energy resource and one that's been ignored for far too long. However, those well wells also can be used for carbon capture projects, other types of resources. So it's not just a geothermal industry saying, hey, let's take a second look at these wells before we plug them. 
there's other opportunities to use those wells for capturing carbon and storing it underground. We worked a little bit with the Colorado Oil and Gas Commission at their most recent financial assurance rulemaking, thinking about, hey, can we make a step here that before a well is plugged, let's just evaluate it. Let's evaluate it, store information on, is this a good geothermal resource? Could it be drilled to a good carbon capture resource? Just so that information is known before we spend a bunch of money to plug it, because it could be a really great well that we could use for good instead of spending more money to bury that hole we spent so much money drilling. My next question has to do with the federal government. I know that there's a lot of DOE funding in in the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. In both those bills, we saw significant consideration for geothermal. And I think a lot of people thought that geothermal is finally getting the look that it deserved. There's a lot of funds for pilot projects, which, Joanna, I know you're pretty familiar with, but as well as some tax incentives for production of geothermal energy. How are those incentives looking? Do you think this is going to really spur some of the development and deployment of geothermal resources? And and what could we currently be doing better at the federal level to help spur the development and deployment of geothermal resources? All right, I'll take on this one for you guys. Yeah, go for um, it. Mm-hmm. So was very impressed with the Inflation Reduction Act and what it did for geothermal. We're all very excited in the geothermal industry. I think there's a lot of investment tax credit opportunities as well as production tax credit opportunities and much less of a sunset clause, right? It was every year we had to hope that the Senate would pass a furthering of the tax credit. So there's now there's a 10-year horizon or, or longer on some of these. So that really adds certainty for tax equity investment into smaller companies or even larger companies looking to invest major dollars in geothermal development. So that was very exciting. I think the IRS will have to figure out how they're going to apply some of these tax credits that they rolled out. It's clear what the intent was. It's not sure how it's going to be executed when you apply for that grant. And it's not just the geothermal industry that's experiencing that, solar and wind are as well. So it'll be interesting to see how those are applied. We're excited to see more funding heading towards geothermal. I think the geode project that is currently, I think, out for application, I think that'll be very exciting to see how that is rolled out. I think really bringing in oil and gas as well as the geothermal industry together to sit at the same table and figure out how to execute some large projects is really the right way to go. So we've just been thrilled as a small company to see the the push to add some investment certainty and funding for smaller projects. It's been a great time to be a startup uh, historically in the geothermal industry. So we're we're excited about the, the future opportunities. Yeah, and I'd just like to add that from Baker Hughes' standpoint, we see a lot of projects from a lot of different operators. And, you know, a lot of those are being spurred on by the fact that these tax incentives have been brought in and any incentive at the federal level to basically help with the effort for energy transition and decarbonization has got to be good because that is the key point in that energy transition is to reduce our carbon output and help to get climate change. Then you also have the energy security considerations that you know we're all seeing right now that we really need to increase that security of our energy supplies and geothermal is a great energy source for helping with that as well as all of the other aspects you hear about the the grid stability and so forth so all of those federal incentives are a really great thing for bringing on geothermal projects for sure on the research side 
you know, Department of Energy is doing some really fantastic projects, not just through the GTO, the Geothermal Technologies Office, but also through OSED, which is the Office of Clean Energy Demonstration. They are, you know, bringing on a lot of clean energy research, development and deployment. And we're seeing that coming through to research projects. And also, I'd like to call out the states because there's really good research funding opportunities through the Western state. California is one that we have direct knowledge of and direct application to us through the California Energy Commission. They're bringing a lot of really great projects online through their research funding. You've got the lithium in Southern California and also demonstration projects in Northern California. So there's really good incentives right now for helping develop geothermal energy. Geothermal projects that the Department of Energy has been supporting have done a great deal to raise the visibility of geothermal. A lot of people are learning about it and putting it together, you know, energy and climate, they're the big issues today. And it is great putting that together. I'm just going to tail in here because I was something that Will brought up. I was thinking about carbon reduction and something the federal government can do. And it was brought up during COP27, I believe, this thought of the U.S. developing a carbon credit market. Because if there's additional value that can be created from reducing of carbon on a system that everyone acknowledges and believes is accurate and fair, the whole world will benefit. Because if we reduce carbon, there's value created and it reduces emissions, global emissions. So this is a little bit far-reaching and outside the geothermal space, but I do think a U.S.-led carbon credit market would really help get geothermal, oil and gas companies, all sorts of things really kicked off because then there's a defined market that you can sell those credits on and get additional value. Those are all wonderful things to hear. I know we're coming up on our time here, so I just wanted to say a special thank you to Will Pitta with Baker Hughes, Dr. Will Gosnold with University of North Dakota, and Joanna Ostrom with Transitional Energy. Thank you all for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing the rest of our listeners on our next Out West podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Out West, presented by the Western Governors Association. To learn more about our ongoing work on geothermal energy, please visit westgov.org. And be sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss critical issues facing the Western United States. Finally, WGA would like to thank Joanna Ostrom, Will Pettit, and Will Gosnold for sharing their expertise, as well as the Heat Beneath Our Feet initiative sponsors, Oxy, BP, Chevron, ClearPath, Cirque Energy, Tri-State Generation and Transmission, Western Governors University, Excel, Deloitte, Halliburton, and Ormat Technologies. Happy trails, everyone.